Chimera by Phil Gong. Read by Dan Snowgrove. Chapter 6 The Mannequin. His keepsakes back in his pocket, Kip walked in the direction of the voice. The miasma floated in thick, smelly ribbons, and out of it, a figure materialised. Judging by its height, Kip concluded it was another child. He hurried towards it, but as the mist thinned, he saw it was the top half of a shop window mannequin. The mannequin was bald, with rouged cheeks, blue eyeshadow and red lips. It wore a tightly buttoned tweed jacket. Awfully sorry to trouble you, it said. Only it really is the silliest thing. You see, I can't seem to feel my legs. Kip noticed the mannequin's legs were sticking out of the top of a large broken vase. He hurried over to it taking hold of them by their feet and hauling them out. He stood them upright, watching unnerved as they jogged on the spot. If you wouldn't mind, prompted the mannequin. After a bit of a struggle, Kip was able to slot the mannequin's torso onto the pair of legs. Whole again, the mannequin gave a luxurious stretch. Thank you, it said, taking Kip's hands in its own. Were you travelling to Thingopolis to join the Calvacade? You do know the mountain is a very dangerous place. Kip nodded. The marble slides. (laughs) There's worse on Purdue Peak than marble slides. (laughs) The mountain is home to a pack of feral garden ornaments. Every year, Purdue Peak grows higher with the carcasses of their victims. You wouldn't last five minutes. Actually, we're going through the bedrock catacombs. We? Me and Atticus. Atticus Weft? Do you know him? Oh, only when I saw you here, I thought you must have just arrived like me. The mannequin's mouth twitched. You can see very well my elsewhere light is gone. Perhaps... We could go to Thingopolis together. Atticus said the catacombs were safe. Then he misled you. The catacombs are infested with toe biters. Nasty little blighters with pincers like scissors. (laughs) Did Weft not warn you about them? No, he didn't. What about the ankle snatchers? Once they get hold of you, you can forget it. Ankle snatchers? Oh, and the dust bugs. The mannequin grimaced. Filthy creatures. Absolutely vile. No, you don't want to go into the bedrock catacombs. And you most certainly don't want to climb that horrid mountain. Why don't you just stay here with me? The mannequin still had hold of Kip's hands. Thanks, Kip said. But I've really got to be going. Won't you stay a while longer? Oh, I used to be so popular. I was in all the very best department store windows. People would stop outside to stare at me. (laughs) Then some half-wit wearing overalls leans me up against a wall behind two rows of carpet. And all at once, I find myself here 
without so much as last season's trench coat. They forgot about me. Can you believe that? Me? With these cheekbones? Oh, they just forgot. Can you imagine what it's like to be abandoned? Oh. Yes, said Kip. The mannequin glared. You? How could you possibly understand? Please, I have to go. Go? You're not going anywhere. The child, your greenness, I have him. Something rocketed between Kip's legs. In a blur of diamonds, Atticus enveloped the mannequin in his coils and silenced it. The mannequin released Kip and attempted to prise the snake from its body. It flailed madly, blundering into the surrounding debris before falling to the ground. Kip, said Atticus, still struggling to stifle the mannequin. Ah, It's too late. She's here. An eerie green light moved quickly towards them through the veil of grubby mauve mist. Kip looked from the green blaze in the purple fog to Atticus and then back to the light. It was very beautiful. Kip, will you look at me? Commanded Atticus and Kip did. On three, ready? One, two. On three, he released the mannequin from the whirls of his body, and with such force, the mannequin spun on the ground like a coin. When the mannequin stood up again, which it did with some difficulty, it did so without its head, which had jarred loose and bounced away into the fog. Don't let the boy get away, you idiot! The head screamed from somewhere, but while the mannequin's body turned in circles, Kip and Atticus fled. When they finally reached the foot of Purdue Peak, Kip found the base of the mountain presented a near vertical wall, striped with compressed layers of ancient belongings. Near to the ground was what remained of a grand piano. Above it, Kip saw bed frames, car parts, and the propellers of old-fashioned planes. The entrance, he said. Where is it? It should be right here, said Atticus. Should be. Kip climbed on top of the piano. His knees played a series of loud, discordant notes on its few remaining keys. Ah, Come down from there before you start a marble slide. I told you, we're not going up. We're going under. The mannequin said it wasn't safe. Ah, She's working for Madame Chartreuse. She'd say anything. She said she knew you, Atticus. What is this? An interrogation? No. Then help me look for the entrance. Kip jumped down from the piano. His palms against the rock face, he began searching for telltale cracks, drafts, or concealed levers. There's got to be a secret door here somewhere, right? Whenever one leg peg and the captain get trapped, there's always a secret door. Atticus didn't reply. Atticus? Kip turned. The sock snake had vanished. Kip stared into the miasma, as from it... The berserker emerged, and after it, the tea leaf. Kip backed away until he was jammed against the ledge of the piano, 
The berserker charged, but before either it or the tea leaf could reach him, Madame Chartreuse glided out of the fog. The berserker and the tea leaf froze. They withdrew, their heads hung low. Madame Chartreuse seemed to hover as she floated forwards to stand between them. The moss-coloured beads in her towering black wig tinkled sweetly. Her eyes, which glinted as darkly as the large onyx brooch she wore at her throat, began to pulse with deep green light. Kip felt giddy. The temptation to look into them, difficult to resist. But resist he did. He put his hand in his pocket, his palm around the conquer. He thought about Sprat. He thought about the solemn pact of swaps. Together they'd promised. Forever. On stage in Kip's head, the magician stood firm, doing more this time than producing scarves from his pockets. Like a beam from a projector, the magician produced light and images and sound. Kip could almost imagine the beam leaving him, leaving his own eyes. A bright, unbroken chain of images. A fatty barnstorm, resplendent in his gold-trimmed jacket and jodpers, waving in the kickabout clowns in their collapsible car. Of Professor Pettifog's great hall, with its dinosaur bones and carnivorous plants. Of his old school, with its smell of books and squeak of plimpsoles. Of his mum and dad before they'd gone from him. His mum looking up from her sunflower seedlings with a smile. His dad just back from work with a pocket of secret sweets. And Sprat. There was Sprat. Red-nosed in a meringue-crisp snowdrift. There was Sprat. All grazed knees and grass stains, there was Sprat. Kip felt the utter clarity of his memories push Madame Chartreuse away. He felt her surprise. He felt her fury. The intensity of her gaze faltered. In that moment, Kip reached behind and hit the piano keys there as hard as he could. The note they produced was low and jarring and echoed loudly. With a loud clack, a single marble fell from above and rolled towards Madame Chartreuse. The marble was followed by another, then more. Kip, conscious of a sound like hail against a window. The berserker looked up at the mountain. The tea leaf stared skywards too. The hailstorm sound deepened, becoming an ominous rumble. Kip dropped to his knees and rolled beneath the ledge of the piano. He just had time to glimpse Madame Chartreuse's indignant expression before she and her henchmen were engulfed in a maelstrom of spinning glass. The noise deafened. Kip thought it would never end. More marbles poured down the mountainside, but in diminishing trickles, until finally the avalanche subsided and everywhere was silent. Kip crawled out from beneath the piano. Everywhere was quiet, empty and still. Suddenly, the berserker reared up out of the fog. At sight of Kip, 
its face turned crimson with rage. Its rattle raised high. It prepared to attack, but it fell over at once with a thud. Now the tea leaf appeared, but the long stilts of its legs went skidding in opposite directions. The marbles covering the ground were making it impossible for them to stand. Kip crept away, his eyes fixed on the struggling figures of the berserker and the tea leaf. Going somewhere? inquired Madame Chartreuse, who appeared beside him, primping her wig. My poor sweet thing, all alone? No, said Kip. Oh, that's right. You mean your friend, the sock snake. Funny, I don't see him anywhere. Silly boy. Atticus Weft works for me. <laughs> he has done for many years. He's a moppet drover, darling. It's his job to seek out children as soon as they arrive in Chimera and deliver them to my care. There are many perils that may befall a child should they wander too far. There are dangers quite apart from those presented by the overzealousness of my two associates. I was really quite distressed when the bridge collapsed. I thought I'd lost you. But Atticus came through for me once again, bringing you out here to the no-man lands, where there's nowhere else for a small boy to hide. Kip shook his head. Atticus saved me. He saved me from the mannequin. He wasn't saving you, Poppet. He was competing for you. Atticus isn't alone in his dedication to making me happy. My agents are innumerable, their loyalties unwavering. Sometimes they fight amongst themselves to be the one to bring me what I value most. They know the consequences of not doing so can be unfortunate. Not looking at her, not listening, Kip said quietly. I have to go. Her green gaze igniting. Madame Chartreuse said, Go where, darling? Kip thought about her question. He didn't know. You're lost and all alone here. You don't have to be. Let me take care of you. No, Kip managed, moving his feet with difficulty. Madame Chartreuse sashayed after him, her stare like superglue. A cuddle wouldn't hurt now, would it? Green light filled Kip's vision. So bright was it, it should have blinded him, only it wasn't painful at all. It was sunshine warm, as comforting as rice pudding. He smelt the soap on his mum's hands. The world and all its disappointments seemed to rush away from him. Kip felt like he was falling. He was falling.